Hello, and welcome to another episode of State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Ropay. He's Chris Stanzial. It's been a hot minute. Apologies for missing out on last Thursday. Wanted to spare you all from listening to the frog that was stuck in my throat, but we're okay. I'm feeling a lot better, and we're back in action today. Unfortunately, although we survived with just one episode two weeks ago, we couldn't do it again last week. We had fallen just outside the top 75, thus breaking our 13-week streak. Unlucky number 13, what can I say? We, you know, we could just say that we've been in the top 100 all this time, but since we've stuck to 75, that would just be a giant cop-out, so we're not going to do that. Right. We're trying to be the Joe Flacco podcasts. We are trying to be elite, so we are not going to measure ourselves by low standards. Exactly. If we if we drop the bar, then we're just hurting ourselves if we're just going to set a lower standard for ourselves. So we can't have that. No, cannot. But Chris, I do have some good news for you. Even though Ooh. we couldn't make the top 75, I still have some good news for you. And that is? On the brighter side, I was looking at some other rankings, and the Wildcats are still atop the AP polls. Sitting at number one. This, this is great. I mean, we actually have uh, more first place votes this time. I think we're actually ahead of Kansas in the first place department. But we did come in second in the USA Coaches Today's poll, or whatever it's called. I don't know, USA Today Coaches poll. We did, but let's be honest, everyone only looks at the AP poll. <laughs> right, right, right. But ESPN will now list the scores by the USA Today poll, obviously. Yeah, the only time we'd probably go by the coaches poll is if it was convenient like that. I've seen some teams do that. It, it happens. Like, oh, come and see we us play a ranked team, but they're ranked in the coaches' poll, but not the AP poll. And it's you see stupid stuff like that here and there. So, you got to go to the game on Saturday. I did. Big game at the Wells Fargo Center. Always mm-hmm. fun to go to those. I saw it was pretty packed on TV. How'd it look on your end? Um, honestly, I didn't think it was that packed. It. I think the official attendance was like 18,500. So it was like a pretty good crowd. It wasn't a sellout. But you felt like there could have been a little bit more people there. And based on the tailgate, you felt like there was a lot more people there. I think a lot of people just didn't make it into the arena. Yeah, maybe Vems was on hand, ready to intercept some people. Yeah, I think they were on duty that day. So was that your first live game as an alum? Yeah, it actually was. I haven't been to any Pavilion games. Yeah, this was the first one all year. I'm, yeah, I remember I'm you were, surprised you were, it took this long, to be honest with you. Yeah, because you were trying to go to the Notre Dame game, and then you tried to go to that Marquette game at the first Wells Fargo Center game. Right. But I guess here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are, end of January, and I finally get to my first game as a fan. This is great. And I'm actually considering going next week against Virginia. I looked up tickets. It's it's a little pricey, but I, I, I think I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I remember looking up those tickets, I think a couple of months ago, and the official site had them sold out. And I did not want to look at StubHub because I was afraid that it would be marked up by like $500. They always are. And then you take in transaction fees and it's it's you're adding an extra 50 bucks to each purchase. But with a game of this magnitude coming up, I think, I think I might be willing to dish out a, a fine penny. It's definitely worth it, especially a top 25 game. You can't go wrong, especially against Virginia. A team like Virginia, one of the best in the ACC, right. can't go wrong. No, cannot. So how do you feel to be back? I mean, as students, we got the free tickets, and now this time around, you had to dish out money from the pocket. How would you feel about doing that? You know, when I was entering the arena, it did feel different because I actually had to pull out a paper ticket, print it out from StubHub or wherever we got the tickets from. I forget. So it was different in that regards. And also, I know it's not basketball-related, but it's pretty much it's part of the atmosphere. The tailgate, I, I mean, we tried to tailgate several times 
you you more so than me when we were in school. But the only time I really got a chance to tailgate was the day against the oh, game against yeah. St. John's. Oh yeah, and negative degree weather. Oh and, yes. You know, I was having I had a good time that night, but it was just so cold. It was it was practically unenjoyable because everything would just freeze the instant it hit the air. So it was actually nice that this time around, you know, with moderate temperature, you know, a lot of people were out, everyone's having a good time. We got there early. We didn't get there late like we did that one time. So it was great to just be back in the atmosphere and actually fully enjoy it. And then you go in and you see a great, a great game, great performance by the cats and come out with a W. It's a good day. If I remember correctly from the St. John's tailgate, it started at one degree, and then by the time it was tip up, it was we were in the negatives. We were in the negatives. It was like our own version of the ice bowl. <laughs> yes, and and I think this Saturday was actually pretty mild and nice, as opposed to our adult beverages freezing up in that cold February night against St. John's. Right. Yeah, that is true. I wore my jersey and I wore a long sleeve shirt under it. So, and I didn't need to wear a jacket and I was perfectly okay. It was a great temperature out. That's perfect. And also to top it all off, you know, you had a big win by the Cats. They won 78 to 68 behind two big performances from Josh Hart, who had 25 and Chris Jenkins, 19. But then you also had Mikhail Bridges with 15 and Jalen Brunson at 13. They were also able to breach double figures. Mm -hmm. You were there live up front. We had a reporter, Jack Brooks. He was there. I unfortunately had to watch from my couch. Not as fun as any of the aforementioned two people who were there. Right. What stood out to you in this one? I absolutely loved Jalen Brunson's performance. I know he didn't put up a crap ton of points and he didn't put up a crap ton of assists, but my God, he he is so smooth and so good. I, I said it at least three times during the game. Like I just yelled out, "You're so good, Jalen!" Like. He, just watching him play is just a thing of beauty. His Euro step at the rim is just phenomenal. He can dribble through two defenders, no no problem, and then dish it to the guy in the corner wide open for three. I think he did that with to Josh. I think on both his threes actually, he just he just found them. It was just it was just an unbelievable commanding game and you don't you don't feel like you miss you're missing a beat with Archgon now. He commands the floor like a senior. He has everything. He's very intelligent with the ball. He doesn't make a bad pass. I haven't seen him make a bad pass all year really. He's just he's just so good. I mean and then Bridges, he actually got it he finally got the ball rolling again. He has had a few bad games in the past few, so it was nice to see him hit double digits. I mean Josh had twenty five, like you said, but it felt like a very, very quiet twenty five watching this game. And then Jenkins with nineteen, the pump fake, still phenomenal. In person, I feel like it's even better than it is on TV. So that that's what I gotta say about that. I totally agree. I love Jalen Brunson's game. I've loved it since he set foot on the court last year. Even though he didn't have the green light per say because of arch i thought in the few instances he was able to take control his game like you said smooth i think smooth is a great way to describe it Mm -hmm. and then you also look at chris jenkins that shot fake is money especially live i've seen them twice now live covering the games and that shot fake is definitely deadly i can see why it gets everybody yeah, it, it fools everyone in the crowd too. Like everyone puts up the three as he was about to shoot, and then obviously he doesn't pump fakes it, and then he takes like a mid range wide open too and sinks it. It's it is a thing of beauty. I think what stood out to me was when Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins get it going, Villanova cannot lose. Like it's just impossible. Like it just can't happen. Right, they, they will not lose. 
No, not and at all. It, the only time opens... that they were cold was against Butler, and we mm-hmm. all know what happened when and they went ice cold. Right. And the thing it went, when they when they're hot, it opens up the game for everyone. It allows Bridges to get double digits. It allows Brunson to facilitate more, and it's it's just great to see because, like you said, they are the two ticker, big time tickers of this team. If they're not going, the rest of the team isn't. And I'd say maybe the only other time I can think of a performance where Josh and Chris didn't have like great games and we were able to get bailed out was against Creighton when Jalen absolutely went off. So like you said, there are times few and far between where we just, we need these guys to get going. And if they don't, we're going to lose. Another thing too, is I love how Villanova was taking it inside. We criticize this team sometimes for being a little too much in love with the three-point shot and perimeter play. Mm-hmm. Providence did a pretty good job of running them off the line, but Villanova did an even better job of turning that opportunity into some great scoring inside. They didn't take as many threes as they usually do, but that didn't matter because they were doing a lot of damage inside. Which was very refreshing to see. Providence doesn't have Ben Bentle anymore, so they don't really have that big presence inside. So it, it was nice to actually finally attack inside five feet but I felt I felt like at the beginning of the game though I feel like we were hacking it up a little bit too much because I remember Patrick said to me why are we not driving <laughs> to the lane it'd be nice to finally see someone drive and then as he says that Josh Hart proceeds to do that and gets an and one so that was cool I, and I think that was the turning point and I think they started to realize wow we should probably stop hacking up these shots and stop letting Providence think they have a chance and work it inside and they did and it worked out well I totally agree with that. Especially last year, you look at especially in the beginning parts of that national championship season, they they loved the three too much, and we saw that fall apart against Oklahoma. It wasn't until they started to go with that balanced approach did you mm-hmm. really start to see them dominate and roll, and obviously we saw what happened when they started doing that, as opposed to just continuing to hack it up, and right. hopefully it'll fall eventually. And this is, this is actually kind of building off the performance from last week. We talked about it a little bit, where we said we were working – from the outside in instead of inside out, as we're so accustomed to seeing this team doing. So it's nice that they're actually able to put a stretch of games where we're actually more focused on getting inside and then, you know, taking contested threes with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. So you were at the game. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you noticed someone sitting on the sidelines. I certainly noticed, and in case I didn't, the camera made sure I noticed on TV. Mm -hmm. But Phil Booth missed yet another game. I think he's up to 15 now. I, I'm not 100% sure about that number. 15 yeah. games. Yeah, he's he only played the first four. So, yeah, he's right, it's 15, 16, whatever it is. One of, one of those. Yeah. Two days before the Providence game, Jay Wright tweeted out, quote, up early at 7 a.m., great team workout, preparing for a hot Friars team, end quote. Now, attached to this tweet, was a picture of the practice court, you know, looked nice. He had the Big East logo. It looks great in the Davis Center. Has has the core values all over the wall. Looks looks nice. Mm-hmm. But then there was another picture of Jay reviewing what looked like, you know, just a short piece of film on the court, probably right in the middle of practice, just trying to reiterate a point. And he's surrounded by a bunch of players as they watch the screen very closely. Right in the center of the photo was a player dressed in his practice uniform. <laughs> Wearing the number five. You know who else wears the number five, Chris? Phil Booth. What do you What do you make of this photo? Uh, I mean, does this mean he's going to play? I I, I don't know. It's. I feel like you're not missing 15 games, and you're still gonna just come back like it's no big problem. I think I want to see him redshirt now. 
I have resigned myself to that fact. Like, all right, you know, it's great to see him practicing. You know, maybe there is a chance he plays this year, but I mean, come on, you can't, you cannot miss 15 games, come back with a knee injury, and then play the most grueling part of the schedule and not expect hindrance of performance and possibly even f- extending the injury even more and worsening it. It's just like almost you kind of want them to pull back a little bit. And I know they've been pulling back for like the entire season because they easily could have rushed him just as much as they haven't. Yay that he's practicing, but I'm starting to just resign myself to the fact that he should just probably take this year off. <laughs> I know when I saw that picture, I was definitely thinking, well, if he's practicing, why is it on game day he's suited up in a shirt and tie, clearly in no position to go to the game. If he was ready to go, or if he was able to play on the court, he wouldn't be wearing a suit. He'd be wearing his jersey, his number five jersey, laced up, ready to go, but instead he's in a suit, and I feel like that's kind of an indicator, especially this late in the season. I don't think think they're bringing him back. I really don't, this year at least. I think that he's being redshirted medically for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, it's it's too it's too late in the game, I, and I don't want him to come back because let's say he does come back, and I, I do you expect them to be any better off than they were with him? Like, think about it. If, go through the schedule. What do you see them maybe losing one, two games at most for the rest of the year, not including the Big East tournament? Before you even get to the Big East tournament, maybe one, two games at most. Is Phil Booth really gonna make a one or two game difference? Who cares if you're gonna win out? Or who cares if you lose just one more game? It's going to matter when it comes to March. Now, I will agree that it would be better to have him back for that. But, like, for the regular season, who cares if you lose one game, like, at Marquette, like, Tuesday? Or who who cares if you lose at Xavier at Cintas? I I feel like at the end of the day, we're going to still be in the Big East tournament semifinals at least. And probably even the Big East tournament final. And then come Selection Sunday, we'll be a one or two seed. So is it really worth his long-term health for the betterment of a game or two? Yeah, not only his long-term health, you know, I feel like you're shortchanging him a little bit. Yeah, he's only a junior, but you're bringing him back to play, what, 10 or, you know, 15 more games, ideally? Or or 20, probably a little more than 15, if you go all the way. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're shortchanging him a season. And at this point, I feel like if you're healthy and there was no problem, we would actually be seeing him suited up. Maybe he's not playing crazy minutes right away. But you still have to work him in, too. So it's going right. to be a process for him to get back to game speed. Right. And you don't just magic – that doesn't just magically happen just because you have experience and you know what it's like. He has to get ready to play at game speed again after not playing for a long time and doing so on a knee. And playing game speed is something that you don't get from practices. Like, no. yeah, you can tell everyone <laughs> to hustle and go hard, but you're not going to get – it's a totally different experience with a crowd in your face or crowd in your ears and the defender wants to shut you down so badly because you're ranked number one in the nation. You're exactly right. Practicing at the Davis Center on a Tuesday morning is much different than playing a Friday night game or a Saturday afternoon game at Cintas Center when Edmund Summoner is guarding you and you're down two with about a minute to go. It's a whole different thing. It's a whole different animal. And I agree. If you're going to try to ease them in, I mean, I guess now would be the time, but at the same time, you don't want, I, I'm more concerned about his long-term health. Like it, this was a problem last year. He gets it fixed up and then he tweaks it again. Like maybe he needs to be shut down for at least a year to really get fully recovered. I'd say one perk of sitting at home. I know you got to experience all the fun up, up close and personal, mm-hmm. but the broadcasters 
the commentators were talking about Phil Booth and him being out. And according to them, the Fox, the guys over at Fox, they were saying how Jay had told them before the game that Phil's knee wasn't really improving. And that's that's worrisome, you know, two ways. I mean, I guess it shows, one, you know, you want him to get better. You want him to be healthy. And the fact that it's not improving is pretty scary in that sense. But also, it, it's kind of reassuring to me that he's probably not going to come back this year. Yeah, probably. I mean, and that, yeah, that's another thing. You're getting, you're sending mixed messages. Like, you're telling people, oh, his knee's not improving. And you're thinking of redshirting him. And then the next thing you know, you're tweeting out pictures of him at practice and full basketball garb. So it's like, like which one is it? Are we going to have a play or what? It, it's just so up in the air and it's just so ambiguous about the whole situation. The team's just so ambiguous about the whole situation. It's just, it's just getting out of hand. I, I just want to just want them to just come out and say, this is what's happening. Sorry or hooray. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to kind of be like the Dante DiVincenzo situation where they don't officially make a statement, but they just kind of sneak it in there and hope no one notices. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's unfortunate, but. And this is obviously receiving more attention since, you know, Phil Booth kind of uh, important to the rotation. Yeah, you know, you don't just drop 20 in the national championship game and just kind of go away quietly. <laughs> no one notices. Right. Especially when we can, we can use some guards. So right now, Nova's operating on a seven-man rotation. If Phil Booth is shut down for the rest of the year, medically red shirts, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. How do you see this affecting Nova down the line? Well, we've kind of hinted at a, a previous podcast, but it's definitely... It's definitely going to hurt them. And obviously, you can't just replace his production. You're going to have to do it by committee. And I don't know if Eastman and Dante are going to be able to do that. I mean, they're, they're good players in their own right. But Phil's eating up good minutes, and he was playing pretty well. And you wanted to see him build upon that national championship performance. And also, you're going to have to look at it as from a fatigue standpoint. Like, think about it. If this team makes a deep run in the Big East tournament and then proceeds to get to the Sweet 16 and the NCAA tournament, you got to figure that they're going to be pretty tired come Sweet 16 Elite Eight time. And then let's say for all intents and purposes, they make to the Final Four. What makes you think they're not going to be tired for that? Like, I know you get weak stretch, like a weak stretch in between those weekends, but still it's, it's, it's different. It's when you get out there, you, you, you're like start to get heavy and whatnot. So I'm concerned about the fatigue of this team and not so much, you know, their performance now. Especially when you look at you know, let's say they do go all the way, or they do make it to at least the Final Four. That's about a month of extra season. And then you compile that with last season's run. Now you just have two months extra over 95, 90, probably 99% of the country. The other thing is, too, you have Dante DiVincenzo at the guard. He's playing pretty well right now. I think he's really picked it up. Eric Pascal is pretty solid, too. But one thing that worries me about Pascal is he's getting into foul trouble a lot. Sometimes he'll get into foul trouble pretty quickly and pretty often and then when you do that now you're down to a six-man rotation right that's worrisome right there especially when it comes to the tournament where you you hope that the team that you're playing against has either a bad day or you know your six men can take you through to the next round exactly and then like you said if he spins in foul trouble your six man is now the guy who was supposed to be eighth on your bench and didn't play a minute in the ncaa tournament last year so you're getting an inexperienced six guy. I mean, I know you have a lot of experience in that starting rotation, but that's going to be awfully tough to overcome. And one thing we always talk about with championship teams or teams that make it far, it's all about the depth. And right mm-hmm. now, any other injury or any other blow, whether it be someone fouls out, that would just be devastating for Nova. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Last season, we had eight deep, and they were all like good, like real good top to bottom. I mean, one 
one person who came off the bench is now in the starting rotation this year, and the other one would be getting significant minutes off the bench. So it's just crazy to think about that really two quick fouls in the the first five minutes of any game, we might be in some trouble. So next up for Nova is a trip to Milwaukee to take on the Marquette Golden Eagles. Now, Nova beat Marquette early in the season when they shot over 60% on the floor, 60% beyond the arc at the Wells Fargo Center. Blowout win. Golden Eagles going some crazy run at the end to just make it look a lot more respectable. Mm -hmm. But since then, the Golden Eagles have been pretty good. We're not going to dive too crazy into the numbers because we did that the last time we previewed them. But this is a Marquette team that almost upset Butler. Say almost because they had a very big lead at half. And then they choked it away and ended up losing by eight to Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse. But they came back and they smashed Creighton. Granted, yeah, Creighton was without Maurice Watson Jr. But you don't just drop 100 points on the road (laughs) against the top 10 team. and, And that's just all by accident or that's just by being lucky. You just don't do that. What are your thoughts on this upcoming game tonight? It's quick turnaround. What are you thinking about this one? This is going to be tough. And we, I was telling you off the air before that Marquette gives us really good games at the BMO Harris Center. I think that's what it is now. It, they are, we've always had competitive games against them there. And no matter how high we were ranked or how low they're ranked or how high they're ranked, how low we're ranked, it doesn't matter. Throw the rankings out the window. I mean, we haven't lost to them since we started college, but they, I think why not now for them is what I'm trying to say. They absolutely throttled Creighton. And like you said, no Mo Watson Jr. But I don't think Mo Watson Jr. was going to really turn much of that game around. And they honestly should have beaten Butler. They're finally coming home. They had a long road trip against two really good teams. And they're going to be at home in front of a raucous crowd. Granted, it is midweek, but that place can get very loud. I have uh, firsthand accounts of that. And they're going to be a tough team, a hungry team. And they got some freshmen, as we saw last time, that want to win and they want to beat the big dogs and really announce themselves as the big men on campus. So look for a dog fight. I think I actually had Marquette beating us. So I, I think you did too I, on, I, on, I, in our uh, season preview episode. I think you did have them beat Nova on the road. And I thought that was kind of crazy at the time, but crazy things have happened since. Right. And I think my prediction might be coming true, but we'll get to predictions later. <laughs> they just beat Creighton on the road. They did it at Omaha. It's great to beat Creighton at your home arena, but to do mm-hmm. so on the road where they play very, very well. Yep. They dropped triple digits. It's absurd. A college basketball team doesn't just drop 100. No. Like, just casually. Like, very casually. Just like, yeah, drop an Andre on you today. No big deal. Just walked into that court and absolutely took over. Yeah, you can say Mo Watson this, Mo Watson that. But if you look at the production that they got from their freshman point guard who's been a backup, barely played, he had a great game. Isaiah Zierden had a good game at points. So I, I even feel like... Even with Mo Watson there, yeah, it doesn't really change Marquette dropping 100, 102 points. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. Seven of nine rotational players score at least nine points per game. Five of those have breached double figures. You have Marcus Howard, who's looking very good. Very good. One mm-hmm. thing that impressed me about him in that Crane game was that we, we know him as a sharpshooter. We know him as a three-point specialist, but he was driving inside. He was he looked more like a complete scorer to me. This guy can ball. He can yes, ball out. He can really ball. And, you know, he was a low-end top 100 recruit, but he's he's playing, like, upper echelon, like better than what the guys who went to Duke are doing right now. Yeah, Marcus Howard, 
you were telling me about him in the preseason. He's really good. I really like his game. Caden Reinhardt, I gave him the biz last time, but we he's starting did. to turn it around. Yeah, he's, he's completely – he's flipped the switch ever since we gave him crap. It's like – I swear to God, it's – it's we have, we have like some anti-curse here. So what are your thoughts on tonight's game? What do you think – I know you said in the preview show back in October that Villanova was going to lose. Do you still stick by that? Do you still agree with that? <sighs> no. I just can't see us losing there now. I think I know Marquette's playing really good, but so are we. But, but this is a trap game. It is the definition of a trap game. You have Virginia coming up on Saturday at the Wells Fargo Center at home. Top end teams, top fifteen teams playing each other. But first, you have to make a not a cross country trip, but a, a significant trip to the Midwest to play a team that has nothing to lose on the road. It's, it is a trap game, but I'm going to still give it to Nova. I just trust I, – I just – watching them live this past weekend, I just trust them too much now. I can't go against them. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going, so I'm going against my preseason prediction. Marquette has one of the top offenses in the Big East. I mean, we definitely saw it last game when they dropped 102 against Creighton. Villanova's defense is really solid, too. I think the Wildcats are listed as a five-point favorite. I'm not 100% sure by Vegas. I think mm-hmm. it's around five or six points, mm-hmm. but I don't see Nova losing. I think, yeah, Marquette's coming off of a big win. I definitely think that they're going to give Nova a dogfight, but I think if Villanova gets to them early, shuts down all that energy right away, and then I think they have it in the bag. You let Marquette hang around, then you'll definitely have a game. Mm-hmm. I think it'll definitely be closer than the Wells Fargo game. But I see Nova winning this one. Just got to shut down Howard, Juwan Johnson. Del Reynolds has to be big inside the paint against Luke Fisher. And I, I just don't see Nova losing this one. It could be a trap game, but you just have five days to prepare for Virginia after this. So I, you know, I'd see the quick turnaround bothering them. But I just feel like, they're not going to let this one slide, and I feel like Jay is definitely taking notice of them upsetting Creighton and knows right. that it's definitely going to be packed tonight. It's definitely going to be packed. I saw them trying to rally kids to come to the BMO Harris Center, whatever it's called, but I just don't see Nova getting upset on the road here. You know, you make a good point with Jay taking notice of Marquette because they beat Creighton. I feel like if Marquette kind of just laid down the die against Creighton, I feel like this would be a little bit more vulnerable of a game to lose. Marquette would be, you know, I mean, obviously Marquette has more momentum for this game, but I feel like, you know, they might get a little cocky, think that they can just drop 100 on us because now they're at home. They could do it at Creighton in Omaha. Why can't they just do it at home? So so I guess it gives us more of an alert. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Jay's taking them lightly when he saw that box score. Yeah. He's probably, he probably like, what? Calls up Anthony <laughs> Howard, Baker Dunleavy. We need, to, we need to redo the whole scouting report and dissect this tape. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Hey, so thank you, Marquette. Thank you for beating Creighton. So before we look at the women's basketball team, they had a great weekend too. But I, I just want to bring something to your attention. Sure. Now, you're a Jersey guy. Yeah. You love the state of New Jersey. Um, Sure. Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> okay. Today, Chris does not like New Jersey. No, it's a miserable day. The Nor'easter. Ugh. What is your opinion on Seton Hall? They suck. Okay, there you go. Chris does not like Seton Hall. Mm-hmm. Well, the Setonian, Setonian, however you pronounce it, Seton Hall's campus newspaper spoke really? to Angel Delgado after 
their game against St. John's this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. You might have heard Delgado had a pretty big game, the first 20-point, 20 20-rebound 20 game in seven years, and the first since conference realignment. Now, they asked him about Villanova, I'm sure, and he said that he felt the Pirates did not have enough time to prepare for Nova and that, quote, next time we will get them, end quote. How much do you buy Angel Delgado's statement? Now, just to remind you, Villanova beat Seton Hall by 30. It was 76-46 to 46. about a week ago at the Pavilion. The two teams will meet again in February. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why? What, what does that even mean? Do they didn't have enough time to prepare? I, 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 I you could have prepared for a whole month. You wouldn't have beaten them. I, I, On the road at the Pavilion, you're not – no. Just stop it. Stop. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, what different, like, what is it? What, like, what, I don't understand. <laughs> Do we even, how honestly, honestly, go, how, how much time did they have between games? Was it like, was it back to back? I don't think college teams play back to backs in regular season. I don't, I don't know if that's allowed. And isn't that going against the NCAA or something? I don't know. So, well, why, who, who, you had at least a day. Yeah, we both actually had a short turnaround. We had, because it was Monday was that Big East marathon, so everyone had to play on Saturday, right. the Saturday before that. So mm-hmm. everyone had a two day turnaround. Okay, what's his gripe? We we had just as much time as they did. This oh, this is just something that players say just to just just to say. I, I don't I don't I don't even think he believes it. To be honest, with you. <laughs> I don't I don't even think he believes it. All right, you know maybe you do beat Villanova at the Rock on February eighteenth. It's very, very possible. But the fact that you're saying you didn't have enough time to prepare, that's where it's like, yeah, no, stop. Like, who preparation time had nothing to do with you getting throttled by 30. Yeah, and even then, it was a Big East Marathon game. You had this date scheduled months, way before the conference schedule came out. They definitely had this game circled on the calendar. What What is enough time for you, Angel Delgado? How much is enough time? You tell me. What is enough time? <laughs> tell tell J. Ray what, what, how much time is enough time, and then uh, and then maybe he'll arrange an, an a appropriate schedule. And what is and and just to make another counterpoint to this ludicrous claim, when Seton Hall beat Villanova in the Big East tournament last year, they had one day to prepare. Actually, they had, <laughs> they had less than twenty four hours to prepare, and still beat them. So your point. Uh, you know, I think this is just a case of one of those. When you bomb the first test of the semester, and then the second one comes, and now you're going to take that one a lot more seriously because you bombed that first test that you, quote, unquote, <laughs> did not have enough time to study for. Right. Yeah, you're right. I pulled the same stunts. find it ridiculous. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. You had – I mean, if you want to look in the preseason, you had all those months off yeah. season two. Yeah, I mean, really. Oh, boy. Well, let, let them talk, and then we'll go into – the Rock and actually win for once, hopefully, because I will probably be there. <laughs> brave, you're brave, you're brave. Trying to go again, but we'll see. So as we look at the women's team, as I said, <laughs> they are hot right now. They are. They have now won five straight games, improving to eleven and nine overall, and five and four in the Big East. They won a big pair of games this past weekend. They won seventy to sixty nine at Hinkle Fieldhouse against Butler on Friday. Overcoming a 22-point deficit. You don't Whoa. really see comebacks like that. Wow. And it was second half, too. 
They trailed by that much in the third quarter, and they came back to force OT where they ultimately won it. Wow, I guess Hinkle Magic really doesn't exist for the women's team. Then. Or, or maybe they shortchanged Nova the first time when the men's team was there, and they're like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna help we're gonna help you ladies out. We're gonna even it up. Oh, right. Yeah, they can only use amount, a certain amount of Hinkle Magic. It has like a like a meter, like in a video game. Like they, yes. they held they held down the R two button too long. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You use the turbo too much against the men's team. That unfortunately we don't have enough left over. <laughs> and then on Sunday they blew out the Lady Musketeers at the Sintas Center, seventy-two to forty-seven. What stood out to you this past weekend of big, big? Women's basketball performances. You know, I'm going to harp on it again because I always harp on it. Free throw shooting. And you want to know something? They actually got to the free throw line, and they did so against Butler. They were 21 of 27 from the line. So not only did they get to the line, they actually made their shots while they were at it, and that was a huge part in the comeback, obviously. Their fortunes were reversed a little bit when they only took five three throws against Xavier, they did hit four of them. But when you're winning 72-47, I don't really care if you're getting to the free throw line or not. So that's okay. <laughs> you had some freshmen who were actually able to break out a little bit. So Kelly Jacket filling in as a starter. She played two great games. Mary Kidaka and Grace Stamp both combined for 34 points against Butler. And then Kidaka and Jacket combined for 31 against Xavier. And Kidaka, I'll say it again, she had a double-double. 20 points and 10 rebounds against Butler. We actually haven't talked about her at all on previous podcasts, I'm pretty sure. So this is like an absolute coming out party for her. And then she had 18 points and eight boards against Xavier. So an absolutely fantastic weekend for her. And it's very possible she might be starting, maybe not starting, but she'll be getting much more significant minutes now. We've been hyping this freshman class for a while. I I remember we were hyping them up after Big East Media Day. We're talking about how, you know, the Cora Twins are out, a lot of veterans out. This is going to be a a lot more of a younger team. They got that big freshman class coming in, and now we're starting to see that all come together. Yeah, it's absolutely great. And the fact that that this freshman team is able to show resolve in the Hinkle Fieldhouse and have a huge comeback win against Butler, that's insane. And you usually don't see that in, in any at any sport, at any level, like freshmen coming in, leading your team to a huge comeback. It's it's nice to see, and it's hopefully it shows signs of improving for the future. Yeah, they were a little shaky to start this season. You know, they would win one and then maybe lose four. And then right when they start evening things out, they'd go on a little bit of losing streak again. But right. it looks like they finally figured out themselves, or they're really starting to get close to that. You lose the Cora Twins, longtime starters. You lose a couple more veterans, but now you have – you know, we saw Adriana Hahn and Alex Lewin carrying the team for a while, and Megan Quinn. Those three, they played pretty solid games this past weekend, but it also helps a lot when a lot of your younger players are stepping up big time, too. They got that big comeback win against Butler, had a big blowout against Xavier, and now they're going to be rewarded with a nice little break until their next game against Georgetown on Saturday. They beat the Hoyas pretty easily last time by at least 20 points. Do you see this win streak continuing? Yeah, I do actually. I think I think they'll extend it and get an easy W against Georgetown. This this is actually kind of amazing how they've uh, turned it around a little bit. I mean, I know the record isn't you know fantastic at eleven and nine, but you know you win this one and you're sitting at twelve and nine. And considering where you were about a month ago, this is this is pretty huge. Yeah, it's definitely crazy how much they've turned it around. You know, I think they started a, 
about one and four, or you, they started the season with that big blowout loss against number ten Mississippi State. Yeah, Mississippi State, yeah. and now they've come such a far away, and it's part of the growing pains that comes with being a young team or having all these experienced players step up or have a bigger role than they might have first thought they would get. But when these pieces start coming together and they start to come together sooner rather than later, that's got to be a huge boost to morale, especially when it pays off in a five-game winning streak. Yeah, you're exactly right. We'll certainly keep an eye on them. They don't play until Saturday, so we're going to hold off from previewing that game. In the meantime, we got some swimming action. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they hit the pool this past weekend with the women's team picking up a win against Richmond. Outscoring the Spiders 187 to 110 with the win, Nova improves to six and two in head-to-head meets, or as I like to call it, dual meets. Dual meets. Dual meets. Dual meets. Dual meets. Dual. Okay, meets. It makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I kind of like <laughs> head-to-head better. Yeah, me too. We got to catch up with the swimming lingo, though. I guess. Darby Goodwin. We talked to her. Yeah, we've we spoken to her. We had her on the show when it was still a, a video show last year. Mm-hmm. She came on. She was a young freshman then, already broke records, was mm-hmm. already killing it as a freshman. She came back and had another record-setting performance this past weekend, breaking her own pool record in the 100-yard backstroke with a time of 55.66 seconds. Yeah, that's that. That's pretty fast. And is this... I mean, when we talked to her, we knew <laughs> we knew she was good because of what she was doing. But now you see her building upon it this year, and it's just even crazier. Yeah, no signs of a sophomore slump at all. None. It's going to be scary what she can do once she's a junior and senior. I remember when she was starting to come up, and she was upsetting people left and right. No one wasn't entirely sure of who she was. And then she broke those two records in the same weekend, and it was like, oh, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Please come to our show. Please. 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 Have a seat right here. Please. Well, we'll come to you. We'll come to you with our cameras. <laughs> we actually did go to her. We actually filmed it at the swimming pool in the pavilion. <laughs> that was the first time I'd ever been there, and see. it was pretty cool to see another side of the pavilion that you don't usually see. Right. Whether you think of it as a uh, nice place or not, it was interesting to see. And I'll never forget the cameras kept fogging up. I was just about to bring that up. We waited, uh... I think, 30 minutes to finally go, and I was so glad when they started working. Yeah, that was that was an amazing, amazing shoot. You don't you don't realize how many like nuances of the whole camera aspect of it you need to know to like actually get a good shot in everything. It's just crazy to think about. Yeah, Chris got to experience it. Oh, way too much. Cool. <laughs> Chris was there every week. Chris Chris was converted from a businessman to a cameraman connoisseur for about two three hours a day. I loved every minute of it too. It was real cool operating with those things. I miss it. Cool. I, I, I miss it. I do. I miss it a little bit. To me, that was always the fun part. And then when it came to editing and putting it all together, after that was when I lost my mind. That's, yeah, that's when you, it was your time to shine. But then your computer had other ideas. Always. Always. <laughs> it was never an SNN shoot without something going wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I know when I was covering the team last year, they spoke about only having a limited number of home meets at the Pavilion. They only had maybe two or three last year. This year, the swim team has almost doubled that, and they'll finish out the season with four straight home meets before going into the Big East Championships. The Richmond meet was the first of that four-meet stretch. How good is it to see 
the team get way more home meets than they usually have in years past. And that's going to be pretty encouraging for the swimmers. I mean, you practice in that pool year, like all year pretty much. And then you're basically told, nope, can't swim here anymore. You got to go to this place. You got to go to that place. And I, I bet you it wears on you a little bit. So I bet you they're happy that they get to stay home now most of the time. How, so how does that work? Do they just schedule the meets wherever, or is it like based on record? Like, I don't understand why they only have two meets one year and then you have like eight the next at home. I would think they would try to balance that out. No. Well, a part of it was the facilities. Oh. Yeah. Why is it that they, what they do with it? Do they do anything better or? I, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, from what I've saw, it looks the same. I think it's, they've just become, I, I don't know if they pushed for it, but it's definitely encouraging to see them get those more home meets. Because I remember it was literally maybe this time last year, middle of January. And I'm coming to cover, and they're like, yeah, this is senior night. And I was like, what? <laughs> how, <laughs> how is this senior night? And they said, oh, well, this is our pretty much our last home meet for the women's team. And I was so – I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it, it must have been hard for you to wrap your head around. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and then they showed me the schedule, and literally they're on the road either at another school or at, like, a neutral site to, where they could have, like, a giant meet. That's absurd. So I guess – I mean, it's pretty cool that they got – some meets now at home yeah and it's a shame too because they're a great team the women's team i think they're three-peating or they're looking to three-peat as biggie's champions they pretty much blow everyone out of the water every year for the last three or four years it's good to finally see the program finally post some teams you come to us we're the champions here right exactly (laughs) show us some respect give us give us a home meet so i guess maybe that's what they had to do with it as well as we look out of the pool and onto the land Nova Track was back at it. We don't. We have more than just basketball now, Chris. We, the teams, you know, they come back from break. You know, you give them about a week to get used to it, and now we have more than just basketball. Yeah, second semester is in full swing. Everyone's back on campus. Uh, might as well get right back into it. So Nova Track, they practically have a meet every weekend until the Big East Championships in February. This past weekend, they competed in the Gotham Cup over in New York for the women's team. You had big performances from Siofa, Clary Butner, Kelly Salufo, and Bella Berta, who each won their season debuts. Clary Butner won the 800, Salufo won the 1,000, and Bella Berta won the mile in what was her first ever indoor race after not competing in the indoor season last year. She is a redshirt freshman indoor runner. But didn't she run cross-country? I feel like she did. She did. She did. Yeah. She had a pretty good cross-country season, too. Yeah, I remember her name coming up a lot last year when our boy Brendan Donovan kept gave us the stats each weekend. <laughs> yeah, quick, each episode. Quick, yeah, the quick weekly recaps. Yeah. Notable in that same mile race that Berta won, Nova swept the one, two, three, and four positions. You had Berta on top, Ann Campbell second, Nicole Armstrong third, and Alex Russo fourth. That's 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 impressive. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's pretty cool when you sweep the podium, but it's also cool when you know that you also had fourth place too. Yeah, just 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 as like extra emphasis as to how dominant they were. Who were yeah, who were some other teams at this? They actually had a bunch of schools, and by a bunch, I mean you had everyone from Villanova to local New York colleges to like you, uh, you know, Maryland Eastern Shore to. Various track clubs. 
to NYU. Monmouth was there. Uh, there was just way too many to list. It was it was a combination of all these different local New York City and state colleges and some schools in New Jersey, even someone from Maryland, and then you just had a bunch of different places here and there. So they got them from far-reaching places, I guess. So even though they did get one, two, three, four, it was kind of expected. Well, you also had some big boys there too. Like you had Georgetown. Georgetown was there. All right. Well, I guess that makes it more impressive then. Not that it wasn't impressive to begin with. I mean, that is one, two, three, and four. I mean, for all we know, these, these track clubs can produce some some great talent. Yeah, you never know. You never know. As for the men's team, what really stood out was the trio of Ben Malone, Andrew Marston, and Casey Comer sweeping the podium in the 3,000 meter. Hmm. So I guess, yeah, that's a nice combo of old and new. You know, Malone's a senior, and then Marston and Comer are both redshirt freshmen. So... I mean, you got a you got you got a gap there, but you know it shows that you have some talent in the future as well with Marston and Convert. I mean, if they're doing this as redshirt freshmen, they're going to be easily able to replace Malone down the road. Yeah, you know how Marcus O'Sullivan is with his track team; it's like a factory. They just yeah. they just always pump them out. Is it is it like a Fortune 500 company? It runs itself. It literally runs itself. <laughs> Uh, shout out to our boy, John Rothstein. Well, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to State of the Nova Nation, whether you do so on iTunes or on Podomatic. Please check us out at VUBenchMob.com for all your news and updates on all things Villanova sports. Follow us on the Twitter sphere at VUBenchMob, or you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at the Stans Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Tuesday. Remember that we're number one, and apologies for last Thursday, and I promise this time I'll actually be there on Thursday to record this fine, wonderful podcast. It's good to be back, and I'm sorry to leave you guys hanging.